Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, okay, okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Stevie Kim, and this is actually, we, we haven't done this in a long time. This is actually the wine business. I was about to say tie-in wine club, but this is actually the wine business club of Clubhouse. We haven't done this in a while because we used to run two rooms, Italian wine, which we still have been doing very consistently since February every week and sometimes a couple of times a week. And then on Wednesdays, we used to do the wine business room. And then, you know, and then COVID situation got a little bit better and we ran out of time. But actually, we used to this wine business room during daytime and was hugely popular. We did a couple of times China, Japan, Korea. I think Japan Wine Business Room was the most popular one, and it's still running on the Italian Wine Podcast as replay. So this time, we've decided to do kind of a revisit of a room we did before. It was it was Africa Wine Market, and I'm here with Temi. Ciao, Temi. His name is Temi Tope Akintola. How, how do you pronounce that? I, I don't want to muck it up. Okay, so it's Temi Tope Akintola. Temi Tope Akintola. Yeah. How do the Italians say that? Temi. Just, just keep it simple. Just keep it simple. <laughs> so Tammy, I've known him for some time. He just walked into the room. We're in Verona today. He popped by, which we're so grateful because a lot has happened since last time we've spoken to each other. But Timmy, I've met him when he was actually a student. He was a graduate student at Bologna Business School. And he actually came to do a special project with us, with the Venetian International Group, as a one of the marketing projects. What what did you do? I can't remember. It was the wine to you, the online travel uh, to wine. Tra- yeah, travel Vino to, wine. to travel yes. to Vino. Yeah, it was that one. Fantastic. Yeah, project. that was actually a really really good it project. Was. It was. We had a lot of good pointers to that one. And, yeah. You know? Yeah, it was actually very good at the time, yeah. So now, Timmy has actually been working for, is the big boss in Zonin now. I didn't even know. Tell us, like, the developments, what you're doing at Zonin now. So Timmy now is responsible for the African market, as always, and also the Mediterranean market. So all the market that lies from France down to Malta, aside from Italy. What? Aside from Italy. Yeah, because, you know, those markets have something very similar to Africa. And that's what many people don't know. So that's the, very interesting. It is interesting. So there's a lot of similarities in, with the business in Africa. If you want to do something in the French African markets, then you have to have some connection to France because most of the things trickle down. So I'm responsible for the business from the Mediterranean down all the way to Africa. I'm also responsible for the e-commerce um, segment in our business. I what does that mean, e-commerce? 
So you know that it for the entire company. No. So what happens is Zunin has um, its subsidiary companies, and I just sit here in the in Gambela and try to understand the strategy for the e-commerce business. So we develop the strategies together with the area managers and also with my senior managers, and we we just launch it. Basically, that's what it's about. And how big is your e-commerce team in-house?、Uh, in-house now, I think our strategy is to make sure that everybody participates. Every sales manager participates to the e-commerce team. So it's not a one-man show; it's everybody's showing up. The world is going e, and the business is also going e. So we need to be right there, zoning real leaders. So we need to lead that space as well and get our strong foot in the door. So that's what we're doing with that. Oh my goodness! So Timmy, so let's do this. My colleague Richard, he's a new entry. You haven't met him yet. It、okay. is a Scott dude. He actually did a small recap of what we discussed last year. Okay. Okay. Last year we also had your friend Tinashe. Yes. What's his last name? Nyamdoka. Shout out to Tinashe. Tinashe. Tinashe is easy, but the Nyamdoka is a little bit more difficult. He is a prominent also wine producer in Africa. Yes. So last year we did Africa is the wine market for future because we we said that because by 2050 Africa will be home to 50% of the world's population. That's what、um, we had said,、Very、and become、correct. the world's largest free market zone. But there is complexity and diversity across the continent. No two countries have the same currency or speak the same language. Yeah, this is one. Of, this is like one of the key barriers that you face in doing business in Africa. So people believe that Africa is one country. And the reality is, Africa is a continent consisting of fifty-eight countries, and no two countries speak fifty-eight, five-eight, fifty-eight. Yeah. So if you include the island countries and the Indian Ocean's countries to it, so and no two countries speak the exactly the same language. We don't have the same currency. Even if you call them CFA franc, even if you call the currency CFA franc, the exchange rate is always different. The availability of currency is always different. And so this, I want this is like one of the major barriers to business in Africa. Yeah. That's crazy. So we said that each market is different, but there are four geographical regions: South Africa, which is Morocco. Uh, the Dubai of North Africa, yeah.、Uh, as you had said, then there is West Africa and Nigeria, where you're from, is the biggest market, but also the most difficult to penetrate. Ghana is easier to penetrate. This is still the West bit with less bureaucracy and higher consumer awareness. And then there is the third bit, East Africa. Kenya, that's Kenya, is a good place to access the East African market with vibrant online interaction. Also,、um, part of East Africa is Uganda, and Rwanda are also emerging. Then, lastly, there's Southern Africa. South Africa is the access point to rest of the Southern African development community. As it is the continent's dominant producer, with a few big producers controlling distribution channels across the continent, most wine consumed in South Africa is South African. Can be difficult for international wines to crack the market. You know something about that. You've been doing this for a while.、Right? For a while, yeah. Mozambique is another expanding market to keep an eye on. So you'll give us a little bit of update about 
that. The biggest challenges were, we said, were logistics and government bureaucracy. But that's kind of like everywhere. That's even in Italy, right? You've been living here, even in Gambellara, I think, right? So, And then we spoke about this as well as a little bit about the maturing market and how to approach the market. So what I'd like to do with you today is kind of get an update of what we've spoken about since last time we've met as well as giving some takeaways for our audience. And hopefully, oh, I see some. Let me give a shout out to Andrea Ebby. She'll be doing some, she'll be doing a room soon as Paul is here too, Paul Bologna. Hello, Paul. So let's talk about the wine market first. Okay. All right. Would you like to give me some kind of ideas to the placement of Italian wine in the African market? Maybe give me some kind of idea in terms of the demographic or behavioral segment for the wine consumption. Okay. So the key demographic um, remains the, the 20 years to 45, 44 years. Now, that's where most of the middle class in Africa sits. Africa is a continent where about 50% of our population is below 20 so it's a very young continent. Oh my God, that's so, um, that's crazy. It is, it is. So you've got... It's the exact opposite of Japan of the situation. And also of Europe, you know. Yeah. Europe has yeah. an aging population. In Africa, on the other hand, we have a very young, youthful population. So you want to... So the key demographic falls between that age range, 20 to 34 years. These people are just out of college, out of university, have disposable income, maybe not married, have more time to spend outside with friends, to hang out. You've got that money, extra money to buy a drink in the evening to, you know, just to play around with your friends. And that really is the key segment to target. At the end of the day, you know, I I feel that every producer has to consider what product they've got. Look into your strengths, look into your portfolio and look at what product you've got and see what category of consumers that product would target. For example, now, everybody wants to sell a sparkling wine in Africa and you have a lot of influx. Is that true? It is. It is. It is. You've got you said clubs. something about that last time, right? The Prosecco. And the Champagne. Yeah. yeah. So you've got clubs popping up everywhere. Every street corner, there's a club, there's a bar, there's, a, there's an eat out spot. So people want to go for sparkling and sell a lot of sparkling. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Who's going to buy sparkling in Africa? So you have to target it between 20 and 44, 45. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Because the elderlies are used to, they, they were, when the British were there or the French, depending on what the colonial master was. So they used to drink a pot wine. If you're from Portugal, if you were colonized by the Portuguese, Angola, pot is huge. Mm-hmm. If you're from the French-speaking African countries, you want to drink a Bordeaux or a Burgundy. So depending on where exactly. So so the, there is a historic it consumption is, it is, pattern based on the colonialism. It is very much tied to the, the colonial, the, so the, the historical part remains. Right, right. But especially now, this affects more people in their 50s and upward, 50s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. that generation. Now, my generation. All people like me. <laughs> I'm not going to use old for you. So. Thanks, <laughs> so. Tammy. Okay, we can still be friends. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but my generation really does not really care about that. We open to trying new things. Italy never colonized anybody. So that's something to be worried about. So yes. I think the, the Eritrean train wasn't successful. The Ethiopian thing wasn't also successful. So they, they formed partnership more or less, not a, not a colony. So... My generation, the only way we've been able to embrace Italian wines or to, to preach it to my generation is 
by it's sparkling it's easy to drink come taste it and they're very open to tasting it they're very open to trying new things because my generation we always are very open to trying things and that's the demography that i would advise anybody mm-hmm. from italy that you don't you don't do a burgundy you don't do a bordeaux you don't have that style of wine to focus on so that's the demography to actually to actually target with with a wine that's but I mean, that's easier to uh be said and done right how do you target is. that that's everybody's like wet dream right 20 yeah. to 45 range how do you target how have you targeted that specific market no that's not yeah i know i know i you don't want <laughs> to give away your trade secrets <laughs> yeah exactly you still want to have a job that's, tomorrow that's my competitive advantage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay I what can you share let's say i think the thing is i, I would say one thing that everybody already knows social media is very big in africa mm-hmm So if anybody really wants to do something and make some noise about something you need to really look at what you're doing on your social media handles. Uh Instagram is huge, Facebook is also really What's looking. more because Facebook kind of is on its decline. It has been and I it's think all, more and more. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the kids they don't even have Facebook. They only yeah. have Instagram. Instagram. Nobody has Twitter. It no. it drives me absolutely nuts. Nah. You know? I think Twitter is for different generation. Yeah, for mine. <laughs> the people that We're like still to, going there, right? The people that like to talk, you want to drop an hashtag this, hashtag that. My generation just want to drop a picture. Picture is a thousand words in one. Why do you want to waste right, time right. typing a type of thousand words? Just drop a picture. Everybody gets the message. It's clear. So that's it. So I, I don't want to agree or disagree <laughs> with you. That will be for another another room. I, I get it. I get it very much. But I'm telling you how my generation would think about things right. like this. You know, so Instagram is number one. You would say Instagram is huge. Yeah, Instagram. But is, is there another social media like in uh, in like Russia or in Korea in China? Like they have their own social media. Is there anything like no. that in in the continent of I'm Africa? Sure. We've got something or Telegram like, or something similar. So Something like that would exist in some markets or right. some African countries, but I, the, the prevalence is still Instagram. Instagram would do about six. So Instagram is still. What about TikTok? TikTok is growing. Yeah, I think one of the things is it's got a bigger data requirement. So because you're posting videos, it takes a while. It consumes a lot of data mm-hmm. as against Instagram, where you're just posting a pic, you're just dropping a picture off. So I would. I would go Instagram all day long when it comes to getting involved with the with the young people in Africa. Mm-hmm. Instagram is huge, Facebook is is okay. Yeah. And then you need to understand how what's their social pattern? Where do they go? How do they hang out? What do they do? So once you key in all those variables, you can exactly know where to go with the wine and say, "Okay, listen, I'm just going to put a stop here, bring about six bottles of wine." and make sure that everybody that goes in here gets gets a free glass just taste and understand it explaining the wine it's it's an european thing it's a culture right. it's an european culture that i really don't think many africans gravitate to except for the people from french africa because of the the ties with france right. and they've seen their parents talk about wine for many right, years right. like the presentation exactly the whole the, the whole charade, dress rehearsal the, the right? whole dress rehearsal right. the whole thing and in even in south africa i think it's fading off so people right now i just let me taste the wine and then i decide 
how I feel about the wine. So you you, you don't want to you know waste your time with the descriptors, what no. it, the aromatic flavors. No. I, and I, I want to talk about that only when I see that you have a good knowledge of the wine. Mm -hmm. So if you've tasted it and you like it, right. then let's talk about it. I don't want that to be the first food I'm going to put on the door. So let, let you taste it first and then like it and tell me, mm, Timmy, I have a sensation of, I'm like, yes, let's talk about it now. Right, right, right. But not to just come and bore you about, you know, it's cherries, right, it should... it's toasted, it's right. coffee, it's aged, <laughs> it's oak. Guess what? When, when I, when you I was don't on, give a shit, basically. While I was at Bologna, so I, we had this wine tasting course of red wine and the, the professor was like strawberries, fruit of the bosco. Right. I'm from Africa. Yeah. What I'm, is frutti di bosco? What is that? <laughs> it's like, like gooseberry, you know, like, they use gooseberry. It drives me nuts. What it's is very, that? very English. What is that? What yeah. is kiwi? Yeah. They don't grow in Africa. Right, right. So it's best to just keep it to taste first. Right. What do you feel? Then you tell me what you feel and then we can talk about it. What do you, what's the sensation you have? How is it on your palate? But you know, j just for, just to give me an idea, when you, your first approach to, you know, the Africa wine market, you, let's say you have a group of young people in front mm. of you from 20, 30s, they taste wine for the first time. What is their reaction? What comes, what do they say? What comes out of their mouth? What is, okay. give me an example. Okay. So I think I started at the company. I mean, it was one of the mistakes that I made, but that was five years ago. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, you're an old man now. You're your wisdom. Years. That was five years ago. So I'm going through a group of young Africans, and I was taking the Valpolicellari Paso. Yeah. Now they tasted and I get ew. And, and the the thing was, you introducing people that had not tasted that style of wine before to them and you go with a wine that has so much tannins so much body so much structure to it to them and what about alcohol do alcohol is fine uh, okay alcohol is fine most of the african communities including my family we are local producers of gin and of spirits okay so we have no problems consuming eye alcohol right, right. we have no problems with that but then it's always about the palate so we have most parts of Africa have more of a sugary taste. So right. we've got that sugary tongue. So we like to taste sweet things. We less tannins. Less tannins. Right. Less acidic. Less acidic. Yeah. Less tannins. More you want something that just opens up their lips, starts from the from the tip of the tongue where they can actually feel the sugar in it. And that's why you would see that some companies, I'm not gonna mention name now, right. do a lot of volume with Lambrusco in Africa. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of Lambrusco. I'm like, okay, I, I know I know the game you're playing. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. What, what about, what are the other type of, like, let's say Italian wines that are um, successful because it appeases the the first tier of the palate, the introductory palate, yeah. can we say? Yeah, so for that... I, does Moscato work? Moscato works a whole lot. Yeah. So for that age gap that we've mm -hmm. identified, uh, Moscato works a whole lot. Asti works, sparkling, right. sweet. What about Prosecco? So Not sweet enough? Depending on what part of Africa we're looking at yeah. right now. South Africa, they've been used to MCC all, all life long. So Prosecco works a whole lot in South Africa. What does that mean? What's MCC? Uh, Method Cup Classic. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Cup Classic, yeah. So they've been used to MCC, sparkling, brute, and their brute, the definition of the South African brute, uh, 
It contains lesser sugar than our than definition here. Yeah, Cap Classic is Metodo Classico, right? Metodo Classico, yeah. yeah. So it's it's very similar to champagne. To champagne. Yeah. So they've been used to that. So Prosecco works very well. So it's a lighter form, mm -hmm. practically floats on your palate. Mm -hmm. So it's a lighter form of what their MCC is. So that works very well in the whole of SADC. And also it's a unique product. Mm -hmm. So it's not a product that they can find something similar in the South African terrain to. But that's still quite small, right? The MCC market. No, the MCC market in Africa is big. Yeah. It is big in, in Africa, especially in South Africa. South Africans well, love yeah, South MCC. Africa, yeah. South Africans love their MCC. And they do a lot of exports of it, yeah. In the UK, it's huge. Hmm. Yeah. So they do a lot of they yeah. do a lot of exports of AU, but you get a good ground bags, a good Dututs Kloof, mm -hmm. sparkling, a good oil. So most of the the big names have this fantastic MCCs uh, on the market, but their prosecco works very well. Right. Prosecco works in the SADC. What about still wines? What kind of still wines in, in terms of the introductory palette? If we uh, okay, so it's still... So because like, you know, Lambrusco, Asti, Moscato, Prosecco, this is all like sparklers, right? What about still wines? So even with the Moscato, the Asti, right. the still one, that works as also very well. So for for the entry part and for the white category, that works very well. I think Suave is also a very easy to drink, easy to pronounce name. Mm. That really works. What's a difficult name to pronounce? Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Okay. <laughs> yeah, forget that. Who so, needs that, Monte right? Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Right. Now, that's a difficult to pronounce right. name. And people are like, this Monte Monte thing, what is this? Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and then Primitivo, most for, for the big part like Nigeria and also the West African part. Primitivo is growing now. But four years ago when I tried Because to, it's it's because of the the alcohol? The alcohol is good. And the, and the and sugar content the sugar is pretty content, it's significant. Not, it doesn't have that greepy tannin. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's... It's it's rounder. It is rounder. Yeah. So it works now. But think about five years ago when I was trying to introduce Primitivo to the market. People were like, what's this primitive thing? Right. Understand primitive, it? yeah. Understand primitive. It? Exactly. This is a cake or something. This is right. like obsolete. This primitive. I'm like, no, it's not primitive. It's Primitivo. Did, but I mean, like... It, it wouldn't make a difference if you say it was Zinfandel, right? It's no, no, no. it okay. wouldn't really make a difference because right. Zinfandel is also a grape variety that is practically not known in right, right, in that region. So, so you have to. What what about other still wines other as an introductory wine? So other still wines that work, you'd have to go with very international grapes, not something unique to the sterile. Yeah. So you would go with a Chardonnay. For white, you would go with a Merlot for red because Merlot is easy to drink, quite silky on the mm -hmm. tongue. And they know Merlot from the French. So, oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. And also the Chardonnay, they know... That from the Fran from the French. France. Yeah, yeah, from the French. A Pinot Noir is fine, mm -hmm. but it has to be a very good quality Pinot Noir, right. especially in the French-speaking part of Africa. So they Because they would keep comparing it to the Pinot Noir from France. What about Beaujolais? Beaujolais, Beaujolais. the Gamay? Yeah. <sighs> Beaujolais, those wines used to work. They're not the wines in focus now. Mm -hmm. You have, so you would have a demography that's practically going out of the way and you're trying to bring an old wine back to them. So I, I don't know, what's the plan? Holy crap, I have like 24 questions. We haven't, we've only done one question so far. Okay, let me, let me, let's move along. Okay. So uh, which African countries import the most Italian wines? Mm. Now, that's a tricky one. If we go by the stats in the book, 
I would argue Kenya. Mm. It's got the biggest Italian community in Africa. And all the Italians have this restaurant here, so restaurant Italian. there. So it's very, uh, it's very open to Italian wines. Now, the problem you've got with Kenya is practically every Italian restaurant owner imports their wines themselves. I see. So they, they get the pasta, they get the cheese, they get the tomatoes, oh. and then they put a few cases of the wine, a pallet here, a pallet there. Right, right, right. So, so they're like each restaurant owners are Everyone. There. So you've got a zillion and one importers of wine. So Italian wine is significant it and is. it has a very good distribution. It is. But it is. Um, it's like all moms and pops operation. If you go to even the gelaterias in Nairobi, you would find one Italian wine, two, five different SKUs right, on the shelf. Right. But then it's moms and pops bringing it right from from everywhere. From, right, right. If you're from Emilia, Emilia Romana, you bring in a Lambrusco. And if you're from Veneto, you bring in a Prosecco and a Valpolicella Ripasso and an Amarone. So then what, which is the next country? Maybe more... Structure. Yeah, in terms of distribution or... So I would go with South Africa. South yeah, Africa South is big. Africa. Yeah, it's big with imports for, for Italian wines. But then you could count practically five SKUs and the rest is practically nothing. So mm-hmm. you could only pr- count like five cultivars that work or that has a good penetration and the rest is nothing. So, But if you want to see a market where you have everything on it, uh, it would be Ghana. So oh, really? Ghana, Ghana is extremely structured when it comes to the importation and you've got very good penetration there. It's easy. The market entry is quite easy. It's quite straightforward. So, yeah, that's one market that I'm very happy with. Okay. So um, you we spoke a little bit about the, the language barrier, yeah. especially on the Italian labels. Are there requirements for like translation and various countries or... And how does the language impact sales? So, um, yes, most of the markets have a a body in charge of alcohol in Africa. So Mm -hmm. most markets has. Kenya has the SGS, Nigeria has the NAFDAQ, Ghana has the FDA. So most of these markets have this bodies. Um, Cameroon also has the SGS. And what they do is they make sure that... What's the SGS, sorry? Society General, something. It's just an acronym for a controlling body that controls the oh, okay. of alcohol. FDA is the Food and Drug. NAFDAQ is in the National Authorities of Food and Drugs. So everything has to do with food or drugs. And then there's the alcohol. So SGS works with the government in Kenya, in Uganda. So they're like the regulating bodies. They are external regulators. And SGS is external. For the rest, so it's not governmental. It is. It's not governmental, but they have a contract with the government of those oh, okay. countries. Yeah, okay. but for NAVDAQ and FDA, those are governmental in-country. Where do people go to find out about these regulating bodies? Um, I think you just have to first find out, find a partner. Yeah, it's difficult, right? Yeah, so just get a partner first, and then your partner would walk you through the process. So you say partner just very, you know, okay. very easily. What does that mean, partner? Okay. So for me yeah. and for my company, we have a culture where we don't have distributors. We have partners. We build a partnership. Right. That's our motto. That's mm-hmm. what we do. So I call what every other company would call a distributor or a partner. So a partner would be a local in that country that understands the wine business and all the bureaucracy involved. So they do the distribution for you. They help you with the government issues with the bureaucracy. 
Uh, and they'll, they also advise you with marketing and all, what to do. But how can you, like, I mean, you know, I used to go to China once a month for five years. Yeah. And it's such a, I love this, I love this Italian word, mare magnum, do you know? Okay. So it's, it's, there's just so much mm. out there. Yeah. And when you're looking for, quote unquote, the partner, yeah. you can't understand if they are like, you know, um, someone who cleans your home or they're the president of the republic. Like you True. can't tell the difference, True. right? True. Like, so how do you navigate through finding the, the right, right partner? One. Like what, what are kind of the red flags that we should look for? I just advise that first get a business plan from whoever you want to partner with. On the business plan, ask him to put the um, names of companies, other companies, other wineries that he represents on the market. So do a detailed analysis of those other wine companies. Get, a, get somebody that knows somebody there and talk to them and understand, is the partner reliable? Is he going to store my wines in the proper condition? What are the payment terms? How have you worked with him? Can I get an insurance cover for him in case something goes wrong? So these are the things, the steps that I, I just do a proper due diligence. Mm-hmm. So you must conduct a due diligence to understand the strength of where you want to go. It's just it's like a marriage. So you must conduct a proper due diligence to be sure that you're going in with the right person. I wish I had met you before I got married. <laughs> I would have done some proper due diligence. <laughs> no, you, you, you must get that going or else you, you stand a risk of investing with somebody that's going to disappear in the next day. Stand a risk of, we don't you have... You know what, that's the thing, you know, and I got I got burnt so many times in China because of that. Because yeah. I feel like was a friend of a friend of a friend and, mm. you know, it's they have enough. some track record. But then, like, you know, after two months, they, like, literally fucking disappear, yeah. you it's, know? It's not enough to have, to be a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. It's not enough. Especially in Africa, I think most of the countries, aside from South Africa, you don't have anything like a Codice Fiscale or um, your tax code, your person code, your SSN number. So you don't have that. So there's no way you're going to track somebody with an SSN number or a fiscal code or anything. So you need to get that due diligence done. Don't worry about getting Shit, to the market Shit, there's no fast. like Codice Fiscale. No, you don't. Aside from maybe South Africa and Ghana and maybe Kenya as well. So there's really no monetary body. There's nothing to... So how does the government, I mean, excuse my ignorance. Mm. You know, this is why I've asked you to come back. Yeah. But how do they track people's taxes if there's no like tax code so so we've got tax codes okay but yeah. then uh most of the taxes are done directly from the company so if you work for a company they pay the tax on your oh, behalf so not individual not it's more corporate taxes more corporate taxes so they pay the, com- the tax on your behalf and you walk home so oh my god i never you, knew that if you need to travel or do something personal you could go to your hr from your company and ask for your tax papers and then they produce something for you and say, okay, we're covering your taxes for you. And that's not that's not unique to the whole of Africa. Again, please, right, Africa right. is 58 countries. Mm-hmm. But I'd seen this go around in many countries. We wow. have business here. Yeah. I so, had no idea, so, even uh, if that was like possible. No, like, it is possible. It is possible. So there's a lot of corporate tax going on. And, and what people have got is something called like a national identification number where, but... Pff, What's the control on this? Right, right. So it, it is quite difficult once you fall into the hand of the wrong person to, to recover yeah. everything. It is. It's getting, it sounds pretty scary. But listen, 
It is what it is, right? It so is listen, what, is. what is the pricing scenario like in terms of Italian wine versus French wines or Spanish or the New World wines? Mm. How, how does Italian wine position itself? Okay. So st- is it like more or less the same or equivalent to s- Spanish wines or in terms of the perception of the of the consumer. consumer. So when it comes to perception, well, in, in Africa, French wines are number one. Uh, this is why I'll always have a job, right? <laughs> it's always the same story. So French wine, number one. They got into the market many years ago. Well, we Italian wine didn't make, we didn't make the effort at the time. So they got, so you've got the advantage of first to, first to market. So they got into the market first. And then Italian wines is right next, pitch tents pitch right next to the French wines. So we're not very far off when it comes to price positioning. Mm-hmm. Again, what you need to, to, to consider is what exactly is the price position of Italian wines in Italy or in any other market? Italy's got wines that range from 1 euros, 20 cents, 1 euros, all the way up to 100 and something euros or, or even higher. So it's really difficult to say this is where we parked because sometimes I go to the market and I see Pinot Grigio from somebody, Mm -hmm. I don't mention names, uh, and it's priced. And if I do the mathematics, if I do the conversion uh, from Ghana Cities or CFA Franc or from Naira, it it would ballpark to about less than two euros. And I I wonder how that got to, to Africa if it's sold on the shelf at less than two euros. What about logistics? What about the the the, the markup from the from yeah, the distributor? Yeah, how, how is, but it wasn't white label. It's like a real bona fide it's producer. Labeled, so it's not white label. It's not PL. Mm-hmm. It's not um, it's not a nude bottle. It's something labeled. It's something well well structured. Right, right. So, and, and so how does like, that uh, happen? So that's is the, it subsidized? Like it, it's difficult to say. I, I don't have answers to that. But, but I know, sitting here working for a winery, mm-hmm. I know that's practically impossible to do. Is it half wine, half water? Maybe. So, so I know that's practically impossible to do for a 750cl bottle of wine. So this is the thing. Even especially now, the the the, the, the glass. Exactly. The price of the glass. What's the price of the bottle? What's the price of the cock? What, if it's a Stelvin, what's yeah. the price of the Stelvin cup on it? What's the price of the labels on it? So how did you come to that price? Right. So it's really difficult. And I think that's something that Italian wineries have to sit down and work on. Like, what is really our price cup? What, what is exactly? Are you trying to destroy the market for orders? Is it a competition strategy? What exactly is this? And then find a find an accord, find find a way. And you know what? What a com- one community I've seen this really work is the Chileans. Chileans. Yes, they're very structured in Africa. They're very structured practically everywhere in the world. So they're extremely structured. If Marquez is selling this bottle of wine, the same structure as what um, Casa Concha is selling, the price is always very much aligned. There's no big disparity. It's not big jump in it. Mm-hmm. You get a Moscato in Italy at one euros fifty cents. You get another Moscato from the same region, Asti Moscato da Asti. You get a four fifty. Then you get another one at thirteen euros. But that's always been kind of the foible, right? That's been the original, the sin of um, Italian wines in general, right? It is it, because yeah. incredibly, I always say that Italian wine is the perfect, perfect example of Italians. They're incredibly creative. And it's not by chance that they excel in fashion and yeah. design and, and cuisine, which yeah. is really the main driver of, of wine as yes. well, right? Yes. But 
they're incredibly individualistic, and everything that they do is completely fragmented. Yeah, right. True. Very true. So I think this is it's it's the same way, and you see that in the market. It is that that's one of the forces that we see in the market, and that really that pulls you back when you want to communicate the idea behind the wine. You want to communicate something to a client, and the client is telling you, "Listen, I there's another Moscato. You know, there's another Moscato that just told me that they can sell at two euros or one euro." So why? So right, right, right. So that's just pulls also you back. because in Africa the brands are not still that strong, yes, right? So they yes, can't understand yes. the consumers cannot understand the very true the power of the brand, the story right. behind it. Those stories practically do not make much sense to to the average consumer. I'm going to use that word average consumer. Yeah. So the power of the brand doesn't really mean anything. Most brands, actually, the power doesn't really mean anything. Um, apart from, I think there's one brand that is do, they've been doing a very good work on the Indian Oceans for the past 20 years. I think their brand is very strong there, um, talent producer, not mentioning names. You haven't mentioned one name yet. So no. Yeah, you are completely, you know, <laughs> I should have, like, offered you some wine or something. Not going to mention names, <laughs> not going to mention names. Uh, yeah, but I've seen some brands actually try to get on the market and build a brand and caps off to them great job trying to build a brand on the on that market great job great job they don't have the volumes obviously i yeah. know that because i i see the records but i i encourage what they're doing so i'll encourage anybody if, if you want to go there just get that mindset of building a brand because you're not going to make money you're not going to make money if you want to do what every other person is doing you're not going to make money how how could Italian wines, we can never be as competitive as the South African wines in Africa. Let's understand that. Yeah, of course. So why are you trying to make something similar? Why are you trying to fight with them on pricing? Right. So you just, you're playing a, you're playing a losing battle. You're going to lose that battle. So, okay, let's go to something a little bit lighter. Okay. What about, what, are, what, what kind of trends? What are the developing trends that can, the Italian wine producers can leverage for, for the market right now in Africa? And if you can, like, give me, you know, out of these four different areas, yeah, which are the kind of the more, you know, I'm not saying cash cow area, but okay. like, where do you see the uh, growth, like opportunities for growth, in okay. which which area? Okay, so the big trends, if we if we sub zone it into the four main areas, yeah, like Africa, we did last year, like we did last time, yeah. If you go to the East Africa, it's get it's huge with e-commerce right now. So you've got big e-commerce players like Jumia and a lot of them are huge. It's really big on e-commerce. We've got the popular one um, in Italy now. Uh, what do you call them? The ones that go with the teal bag behind our scooter. Oh, it's wine livery. You, no, not no? wine livery. They do more food. Uh, just it? No. Ju uh, just eat? Not just eat. There's a new Deliveroo? one. Deliveroo? No. Global, global. Global. I use all of them, as you can see. I'm an expert. <laughs> so global is big now in Africa. They're doing a oh, lot really? of huge investments in East Africa. What about Uber Eats? Uber oh. Eats also works very well. So that's that. That's the main, main competition in East Africa right now. Wow. And so they deliver also wine. They do. They do that. They do food, wine. Wow. And so, so you see, so, because there's no regulation right now. Like yeah. right now, people who deliver food can't deliver, I think, wine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know how really works here yeah. I, I prefer to go to a physical restaurant and yeah. i want to see what i'm eating yeah i you know when i'm desperate especially at the office so yeah. so e-commerce is is hitting up big time in the east africa so if you want to do that's something that's a trend that any smart winery trying to get into e east africa should actually um hold on to the west 
is still trying you need to you need to get into that open market space which accounts for about 60 to 70 percent of the purchase so you need to find somebody that can get that get your foot into that door so the west africa is still sig- the most significant player it is still it's still yeah. the wild wild west yeah so it's still huge it's still big it's still it's still the monster in the room right right so but then 60 to 70 percent of it it's not regular trade you can call it on trade you can call it off trade it's called the open market trade and that's where the volume is. Right. So you need to find somebody that can get you on that train. And the train already left though. But if somebody already is in there, um, you need to find somebody that can just lump you in and, and get you moving on that train. SADC for the Southern Africa. I think the biggest thing right now is I see a lot of South African wineries partnering with Italian wineries. Mm-hmm. They're doing this also with a lot of French wineries. I know Ken Foresta, I'm mentioning, I'm giving you a name yeah. now, right? Yeah. Because it's not Italian. Because it's not Italian. <laughs> and they're my friends. Yeah. Ken Forrester is now owned by Advini, uh-huh. France. And they also own Stellenbosch Vineyards now. Yeah. So what's going to happen is Ken Forrester, um, Stellenbosch Vineyards will distribute all of Advini's portfolio. Right. Well, that makes the, that's the best type of partner you can have, that's right? Exactly. So the products are not conflicting. But it's a JV. The terms of it, I'm not too sure. Yeah. It's a uh, outright purchase, equity, JV, product sharing. Right, I don't right. really understand what the terms is. But now they've got one. They've got some form of partnership going on there. And it's fantastic to see because I know the boys at Ken Forrester. I know the boys at Stellenbosch Vineyard. And I know they're going to do a good job going into Africa for, for Advini Wines. Yeah. So this is the kind of trends that we see going on in the market right now. There's another Italian player, I'm not going to mention name, partnering with another South African player and they're distributing Prosecco. So it's a Prosecco producer. Italian produce, Prosecco producer, quite famous in Italy. Mm-hmm. So it's not a no brand. Right, nobody, yeah. Yeah, so it's a big boy. It's a big boy in Italy in the Prosecco region. I'm not going to tell you the region as well, so don't, don't <laughs> guess. Try not I'm to gonna, guess. I'm going to get so, my feelers out, yeah. my radars. And, and they partner with a um, South African wine producer, actually originally Italian. The owner of the South African winery is originally oh, okay. Italian. And they're pushing out the Prosecco bandwagon as fast as they can. So that's something that we see going on there. So, well, especially, I guess, for the big players, right? For the big players. They have some, some cash to invest. Yeah. Right? So that's the most logical way it of is. doing it, it to get... get to have some critical mass. It is, because lumping up that portfolio with um, an importer, uh, what what I would call a partner, locally in Africa could be quite dicey, especially given the fact that most Italian um, producers want to get their return on investment in one year. You want to sell the minimum cases in one year. It would be quite difficult for an importer that already imports other brands. So where's the focus here? Are you willing to do the, the guerrilla marketing for him? So this is it. So it's best to just park your truck right next to a winery that already has all this distribution and form a partnership and let them do the job for you. I, I have someone who raised their hand. I'm going to try to bring them up. Okay. Um, in the meantime, of course, I have 10,000 because actually we only have about 10 minutes left. Oh. Uh, by the way, if you guys have a question, please raise your hand and I will try to bring you up. Having some problem bringing someone up we'll see how that works andrea wants to come up too i don't know if they've changed the system andrea's one of our educators i hope you're going to ask some question about oh hi damon andrea i hope you're going to ask him because my next question was about wine education okay well first i was going to i was going to say hi to Amy because uh 
The last time I saw Temi, we were picking grapes together in Colibari. No. Yes. 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 Are yeah, you serious? Yes. When when was yeah. that? Mid September. Yeah, about we two were, months ago. Uh, oh, so yeah, you? Yeah. Oh my goodness, you were here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have a friend in common, and I was working at his winery for a few weeks, and Temi came with uh, my friend's aunt, and we picked grapes all day and. Uh, had some great conversations, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> it's good to hear you again. Are you back in Canada or is you still here? I'm back in Canada, staring out at snow and ice, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> winter is here. Oh well, that's the perks uh, of but, being uh, in Italy. So, but yeah, no, I was actually Stevie's uh, exactly right about what I was going to ask. I was really curious about how you see, like, what you see the role of wine education being in the sort of entry into those markets in Africa. Okay. He just said like they're not interested. <laughs> I didn't. How I we made them interested. Can we get? The so I didn't say that, Stevie. Come up. <laughs> so wine education actually has a big role to to play. Shout out to Vinitaly VA Academy. I know what you did with Kojo in Ghana. Yeah. So he's a big. He's he's doing some good thing. He was. You the, should do it. He was on the page. Was on the dailies in Ghana a few days ago. So uh, somebody sent me that to me. Oh, great. Yeah. And he was talking about Italian wines. So there is a room for that. There is a room to have something structured. I think the biggest one we've got is the Stellenbosch Wine Academy, the Cape Wine Academy actually, uh, which is in Cape Town, Stellenbosch, uh, uh, and that's big. But I think there's room for us to to develop something, uh, a wine course, a wine academy, um, focused on Italian wines. I think that's going to be a real big game changer if um, such a course can be developed locally taught in Africa, and not something that they have to fly here to do. Locally taught in Africa, maybe the last three months of the course they come to Italy to actually experience the vineyard, to pick the grapes like we did. Um, to see the whole process by themselves. Uh, what this would be doing is you will be making ambassadors of the Italian wine move. The Italian, so the Italian wine category will be able to develop itself and you would have your ambassadors, we would have our ambassadors to actually push that bandwagon. Um, yeah, so Andrea, yes, there's a big opportunity with that. What about what are the what are the travel restrictions right now? It's not really that big. You just have to do all, like what every other part of the world does. Um, the COVID test, uh, and then you've got to do the um, the test while you get on the flight and while while you get off. So it's practically the same regulation, except for a few countries that are on a travel ban. Yeah, which countries are on a travel ban? Um, it depends on where what country they would be going to. I think South Africa was on it a few months ago, but they're off it now. Mozambique, I think they're also off it now. So yeah, it's practically open depending on what countries. Have you travel? Have you been traveling to Africa? I have been. Um, I've, I have a trip planned for South Africa at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a trip also planned for Nigeria and, and Ghana. So I'm going. I'm going to be in three African countries in December. Yeah. In so, December. Yes. So just a month from here, I'm going to leave you here where it's about six degrees or three degrees, and I'm going to be in Lagos. Yeah. 25, 26 degrees. Yeah, you're like, you know, you said you work so hard. That doesn't sound so hard to it, me. It is work. <laughs> it is work because we'll be, we'll be meeting and uh, developing a plan for 2022, which I'm not going to share with you. Yeah, okay, okay. I got that, <laughs> Temi. Okay. All right, Damon. Ciao, Damon. Hi, hi. Hey, um, uh, I'm a winemaker out in California here, and my friend of mine tipped me off to your program, and um, this is great stuff. Wow. I'm, it's just so... 
informative and you guys are so impressive in your depth of knowledge and I'm learning a ton. It's not me. It's just Temi. I know shit. Hi, Damon. <laughs> Don't mind a piece. Damon, did you have a question for Temi? Yeah. Yeah, real quick. Um, so it's sort of what Andrea was asking about education, um, but I'm just curious. You know, like say in Ghana, what is there? Are there uh, is there a lot of advertisement of wine and spirits? Do there, is are there lots of magazines and access to that kind of print media for advertising, billboards, television? I mean, because you know here we, we we can't advertise alcohol really on on TV anymore, and very few magazines. You know, you only see advertisements in the in the wine magazines. You know, so it's. Don't have a lot of spread. Okay, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good yeah. question, actually. So, 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 yeah. Damon, um, again, um, Africa is fifty-eight countries, and every country's got its own um, restrictions. So, if you go to the northern part of Africa, um, you're not allowed to. You're not even allowed to show. You could show the picture of the bottle, but um, the bottle has to be closed. The wine must not. If it's poured in the glass, it's not with somebody carrying it or somebody holding the wine or anything. So it just has to be a closed bottle, and that's about it. That's oh, all you shit. can do. Yeah, it's it's respecting the Evans law, just like the Evans law in France. So you have to, yeah. because France, you also you have to respect mm -hmm. that law when it comes to adverts. In other parts of Africa, you can actually, like the West, you can. There's no restriction to. There's no, no, well, every market has some restriction, but it's what's applicable in the US or in Italy. It's also doable there. You can have print media, you can have a TV campaign, um, you could have social media campaign. Yeah, so, and, and the same goes to also with the Southern Africa. So if you take away the North of Africa, every other part of Africa, um, you're free to do some ads uh, on it. TV, social media, print media, wine magazines, or, or fashion magazines. So that's something that, that's a, that's a trend, Damon. So I would, the question is, why would I want to do print media for wine in Africa? It wouldn't make much sense to me. So I would rather do for a fashion magazine, because fashion, fashion and entertainment is about the big, two biggest sectors or segments in Africa right now. So it's huge, the fashion industry. So and more of the lifestyle. So more of the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Then pair that with wine and get that on their magazine. And, and yeah. you stand a bigger chance yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to being in the face of your consumers that way than going for a full wine magazine, which there are not many of them. Right. No, that's that's great. I didn't I didn't think there would be many journals just specific on wine spirits. That wouldn't really get the crowd because we're talking about, like you pointed out, wines that might be... 10 euros or less so you know I, i'm just curious and, and you've answered my question i mean that's access to the print media is would be really great you know, small campaign so so great thanks for that information you're very welcome damon i i want to follow up on damon's question yes. what about wine influences are there wine influences in in africa yeah, yeah, how, do you, how do you find them first of all so you've got some. Um, the first place where I would go is South Africa is a very is a market open to wine influences um, due to the good work that the Cape Wine Academy has done. Shout out to Tinashe again. That's a big wine influencer. Yeah, Tinashe. Yeah, so he Tinashe seems to like the big guy. Yeah, he does a lot of uh, wine. He's a very social guy. So yeah, he has I'd love to. Um, t I was looking for his wine, but I couldn't really have get access. Um, he's got good distribution in the U.S. He's got, I think he's got distribution now also in the U.K. I but think. not here, I don't think. In I Italy, look, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. But we could find out from him, yeah. So Tsunashe has this crew of guys that are sommeliers. You know, he's also a sommelier. Um, they have a very big hold on that influences community in, in South Africa. But I'm going to just bulk it. I'm just going to park it there. 
if I really want to do wine influencers or influencers, I'm mm-hmm. not going to go for wine influencers. The same thing like the same, magazine thing. Right. Yeah, I'm just going to go for people. You'll just go for Chiara Ferragni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's what Chiara Ferragni, yeah, it's, it's exactly what she does. So just go for some of the big in entertainment scene or, uh, or a chef on the food scene, right? which is also big, which is also big in Africa. It's huge in Africa. So just go for some of the big in fashion or in the movie industry or something. And, and let them influence the wine for you. To me, that make, makes a whole lot more sense than sticking it to somebody that's just known for wines. So what about, what about, I can take one more question from the audience if they want to come up. What about, what about COVID? Mm. How did it affect, like, was it really bad? Was it, how did it affect, especially the wine business, the business and then wine business, business specifically? Has it changed here, like, you know, in, in let's say, the quote-unquote, the Western world? Yeah. E-commerce has accelerated yeah. exponentially, mm. right? I started an e-commerce business in wine, unfortunately, as you know, many, many years ago, but it was too early. This is always what happens. <laughs> How did it affect the Africa wine market? So um, COVID was bad. I think it was a very bad thing that happened. It did push the the business back a few years, you know. 2019 was a great year at the start of it, before COVID. Um, it was a year that we had a lot of plans. The, the whole industry had a lot of plans. Uh, but then COVID hit and pushed us back at least for, for five years. So we're back five years from where we started from. For the e-commerce part of the business, yes, we saw some growth. We saw some new players. We saw some people come into the e-commerce space um, for wines, um, especially in East Africa, also in the West. So West, we saw a few companies come up for the e-commerce. But then, you know, the the landscape for our consumption is quite different. Like, for example, West Africa, I just said 70% of the consumption is the, um, the local market. It's mm-hmm. something that that is not structured. So it's the open market sales. And those guys are not gonna go on the e-commerce to buy. They're, they're not gonna purchase over e-commerce. So you left with trying to cater for all the remaining 30% that can go out, that are gonna be stuck in their, in their house. Uh, you're trying to sell them something. Uh, also, you need to also look at it from the part of disposable income. So disposable income went down because the foreign domestic, the FDI, foreign domestic investment went very much lower because even Europe didn't have money, so who's gonna to go to Africa to invest? And because of that, people had lower disposable income to buy wines, so people would actually take care of necessities, buy water, drink a lot of water, and keep the wines still later. So this is the effect of COVID, especially if you look at the South African wine industry, that was crippled. The South African wine industry was crippled, yes. set back, set back for the next five years. So they're like, like five, 10 years behind. They had a very good trajectory before COVID, and then COVID hit. And this, that set them back a whole lot. So you see, it was something very negative to, to the business. Mm-hmm. E-commerce cannot compensate for, for, the, for the ills of COVID. It's not going to. So that's where we are. Okay, so I'm going to get ready to close up the room. First of all, yes. let me just do one thing. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. Temi, of course, is my go-to man for Africa wine market. And I just thought that, I mean, we have so much to cover. The team, uh, by the way, Laika is the clubhouse manager that um, the team with Richard and Cynthia and Jacopo, they've they've given me like 
20 some odd questions. We went through like a quarter, like six questions. Um, so there are many, many more to come. By the way, this is recorded and we'll be replaying on Italian Wine Podcast. Laika, are you on? Yep, I'm on. I'm here. Laika, do you want to tell us when our next um, clubhouse room is? Sure. So it's going to be on Italian Wine Club on Thursday at 8 p.m. Italian time. So it's going to be with Andre Batkillens, um, Italian wine ambassador, is going to interview Beatrice and Filippo Contini Bonacossi from Tenute di Capezzana. Capezzana. Your Italian yes. pronunciation is excellent. It's, it's oh improving. God. Like, a, very good. All right. With that, I want to just thank Temi, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank yes, you very much. Yes, and I'm going to close up the room. Bye, you guys. Bye, everyone. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. everybody italian wine podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year and we all love the great content they put out every day chin chin with italian wine people has become a big part of our day and the team in verona needs to feel our love producing the show is not easy folks hurting all those hosts getting the interviews dropping the clubhouse recordings not to mention editing all the material let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs head to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate to show your love